Hey, it's great to be together with uh, everybody here in the room, everybody who is tuned in online. It's great to be together. Great to be together with you, and Heather. You too. It's you been too. a while. Yes. Uh, for those of you who may be new to Hope, this is Pastor Heather Mandela. She is the pastor of our family ministries here at Hope Church, and I'm Jeff Bills. Uh, lead pastor here at this church, and we're excited about this series Phil mentioned that we're calling Homecoming, which re really is going to be a theme throughout this fall season. And uh, so as Heather and I have been discussing uh, our own experiences of homecoming, we had um, kind of some stories that we were sharing. The first one that came to my mind, a homecoming story, was my freshman year in college. I went to college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I was a Jersey boy. I was born in Jersey. I grew up at the Jersey Shore. I was never out of Jersey for more than maybe a week at a time <laughs> during those uh, first 18 years. And uh, so uh, suddenly I'm transported out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. The family budget really only allowed for two trips home, one at Christmas and one at the end of the school year. And uh, so I went from never being away from home for more than a week to four months of being away in this foreign land where they had, <laughs> you know, a whole different language, things like Cher, which in our language is shower. Um, so it was a different kind of place, different experience. I was so uh, chomping at the bit those two weeks before uh, going back home. And that experience of coming back home, back to um, the place where the people I knew the best, who I loved the most deeply, my family, my friends, uh, being reunited with them, familiar places, you know, the, the ocean, the shore, all of those familiar places. It was a sweet, sweet homecoming back then. Well, and for me, of course, coming home is always so sweet, but one of the things that stuck out for me was this, I, the fact that when I was a child, all growing up, um, I would spend two weeks every summer with my grandparents down the shore at a Methodist camp meeting ground called South Seville. So this place was like a home away from home. But the reality is it didn't really feel like home mm -hmm. until my parents would come down on the weekends. So when they would arrive, then, then I knew it was home. So for me, the homecoming was people as much as it was a place. Yeah. So as we're in this series, just want you to be aware, when we're talking about home, what we're talking about is that place where you feel most yourself, the place that you feel most comfortable, most accepted, that place where you feel the most safe. It's that place that misses you when you're away and celebrates when you come back. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that not all of us were brought up in a home where we felt this. Yeah. There are a number of people I know that, that would not say their home was a safe place. But the reality is God has written it on our hearts to the point that whether our home, our family of origin was a safe place that encompassed all of this, or whether they were not, we still seek it out wherever we go. We seek to establish that home wherever we are. 
Yeah, so for you, that place might be your hometown, the place that you grew up. It might be where you live right now. That place feels like that safe, that comfortable, that place where you uh, are most yourself. For others of you, similar to Heather's story, it might not be a place, but it's a group of people that when you're with those people, no matter where you happen to be, that's where you feel most at home. And for, for many, this place, the church, is that safe place, that place that feels like family where you can be yourself. That's the kind of church that we're trying to create here at Hope Church, and we hope that people do feel at home here. But ultimately, what we're saying is that our heart's true home, that place where we feel most accepted, most comfortable being who we are, that place where we feel most safe is that place where we're connected to God and connected to God through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what we mean when we talk about coming home. And over the course of the series, we're going to be exploring some of the ways that Jesus described it through the parables he told, the stories that he would use to help people understand who he was and what his kingdom was all about. Um, for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the prodigal son. We just saw a video on it. Um, and this week, we're going to be looking specifically at the perspective of the youngest son, the younger son. Now, I tend to think that the younger son may sometimes get a bad rap, right? I mean, he may not have been all greedy and self-serving. He might have been. But I like to think maybe he wasn't. You know, when he went to his father, I like to think that he had goals, dreams, that he had a plan. Maybe he was going to go out and start his own farm or, or open a brand new business venture. I mean, his dad gave him the money, so... Maybe he had a persuasive argument about what it was he was going to do, what he was going to accomplish out on his own. But we don't know how long it took for him to set out, how long it took for him to spend the money he had, how long it took for him to crash and burn. My expectation is that it was a slow fade. Each step he took away from his father's house became a step away from his father's influence. Before long, he found himself indulging in a way of life that was the opposite of who he was, how he had been raised. His priorities had shifted to what felt good in the moment. His immediate satisfaction was taking precedence over long-term good. Shortly before he told this parable, Jesus had been telling the parable about the farmer sowing seeds. And he warned that there were two things which would cause people to drift away from the Father. Pleasures and trials. This was a perfect example of when pleasures take over. When pleasures become the most important thing and how it lured the young son away. So when, um, when the pandemic first hit and my family was in quarantine, 
we had to learn a whole new way of connecting to our community, right? Those first few months, my family and I, we loved getting online on Sunday mornings and seeing everybody's face through the TV screen. In fact, when I would host, Ashley and I would FaceTime so that we were able to see each other as we were doing it and to um, problem solve and just have that extra level of connection. It was great. We were so excited to be together in that way. My family would set their alarms and they would come together downstairs in our family room and we would worship together online. Nice. But as the months went on mm. and as time dragged out, we began to drift. It became more and more challenging for us to get out of bed on time. That snooze button had a great appeal. Eventually, I figured I can do the laundry that needs folding while I'm listening, or we can unload the dishwasher while we're watching, or maybe the dogs needed to go out. Inevitably, the dogs needed to go out. But I could do that all while I was worshiping, right? In the beginning, communion at home was an intimate time with God, but it quickly became a buffet opportunity for our dogs. <laughs> Kevin, who our dogs know, our dogs know him as the weakest link because he always has goodies for them and he will always make sure that they are well fed. He often found himself struggling to focus on the sacrifice Jesus made for him on the cross because he had three dogs salivating at his feet. It was truly a circus. <laughs> Gathering together became more challenging. Our focus was divided. Our desire to Zoom online for our small group studies diminished because Zoom was how we did everything. Mm. It was clear that my family needed people. We needed the body of Christ in a hands-on sort of way. Now, this was my family's experience. I love online worship, and I believe it is a crucial ministry here at Hope. I know so many of you online, you are able to worship in a new way where you are free of distractions, where you are able to give your full heart to God in worship. I know it also allows so many of us to connect in our small groups across the globe. It is important and vital just like we offer a wide variety in the types of small groups we have, worship online is a vital part of the ministries here. But for the four of us, we found ourselves drifting. It is so easy to do. Mm -hmm. I just had a conversation with another family who said they had experienced the same thing. It just became too easy to not engage. It didn't happen overnight, but slowly we begin to prior prioritize other things. Maybe we let conflicts go unresolved or we define emotions such as happiness or fun as the most important thing. Things that used to be interesting became all important. The pandemic created for us a reason to isolate opportunities to become distracted, to drift away from our true home, 
and possibly to find ourselves like the youngest son did, far from that home. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, so that's the way it, it works typically, right? It's a drifting. Um, so this story that Jesus told is a story, and so it doesn't have a timeline. It feels like everything's very condensed. You know, he, he leaves, he spends all his money, and, and collapses. But the way it typically works in life is it, it's a drifting, it's a process that happens almost uh, unnoticed until, uh, until it begins to catch up with us. And I think that's probably what happened with the prodigal. Initially, he had plenty of money. He didn't have to worry about money. But over time, the money got a little bit tight and a little bit tighter. The friends that he was making, and he was making a lot of friends, it would seem, began to let him down periodically, like they were great party buddies, but not so great on the friend side when you really need that friend to come alongside you when things get hard. And so there is this drifting that, that is happening and you're getting less comfortable, but you just kind of drift along. Uh, back when I was first coming into ministry, I uh, connected with a former pastor. He was a guy a generation ahead of me, and uh, he was no longer a pastor. And he told me his story that he had been successful in ministry. And a lot of the ways that, uh, that pastors mark their success is um, how big their church is. And so he started as a younger pastor in a smaller church and did well there. And so he was appointed to a new church that was a little bit bigger, did well there, next church a little bit bigger. And so he was having success in his ministry, but what was going on in his internal life, in his uh, life um, not in his work, was a drifting. He was drifting from God and less and less attention on God. So he was more focused on the mechanics of ministry and achieving success and getting uh, rewards and having people like him and all of those things, but allowing his spiritual life to drift. And he drifted to the point where to fill that void that he was feeling, he had an affair. And very quickly, uh, after the affair started, um, it was found out. It, as you might imagine, it devastated his family. It devastated the family of the woman in his church who he was having the affair with. It did damage to that church and great damage to his reputation. He left the ministry and it took him years years to rebuild his life and to rebuild his connection to God. And that's what's going on with the prodigal. His life is unraveling and he's not quite sure. He knows it's getting harder. But the straw that kind of finally broke it for him was a famine. Or we could probably say a pandemic. Right? He had no money in reserve. He didn't have any friends that he could count on. And his life fell apart. 
That's what happens, right? When we're drifting, sometimes we're kind of getting along, we're holding it together, but then circumstances come along, unplanned, unexpected circumstances, like an economic circumstance or a health circumstance, and it washes the foundation of our life away. Jesus told the story, right? In another parable, he talked about two people who built their homes, one built on sand, the other built on rock. And Jesus said when the storms came, he didn't say if the storms come because storms always come into life. When the storms come, the one who built their house on the sand were swept away. It was the one who built their house on the rock. And of course the rock is when we build our lives on God's will and God's way. Whenever our lives are being built on our own terms, we're living life our own way, rejecting God's terms and God's way, we are building a life on sand. And so the prodigal went from a life of living, you know, a big life, a great life. Things were going terrific, right? Friends, party, money, all of that good stuff, to one washed away, bankrupt, and living literally in a pig pen and feeling, I'm sure, very, very homesick. Yeah, he had that realization that he was not where he wanted to be. And none of us like to admit that we're wrong, and many of us hate change, and well, this young man wasn't any different. Change is uncomfortable, and so we avoid it. He avoided it Mm -hmm. until he couldn't any longer, until he hit rock bottom. Now, he could have made the decision to return home at any time, right? I mean, sure, he would have had to confront what he expected would be his father's disappointment. He would have to face what he expected to be a relationship that was less than what it was before. But he still could have gone home. Mm -hmm. But it took sitting in the slop with the pigs to fully come to his senses, to realize how far he had drifted from his father, to see how far and how much had come between himself and his home. He looked around and he did not recognize who he was anymore. And I'm sure he wondered how on earth things that started so well ended up here. But he remembered enough of his father's character to believe there was a chance that he could at the very least be employed as a servant. He came to realize that proximity to his father would be enough. Being in his father's presence was all he needed to continue to live. He had to overcome that inertia that had become his life. He could have fought it sooner, but instead he let it roll him straight down until he hit the bottom. 
I mean, I, I get that, right? Inertia is a hard thing to break. We are caught in patterns, whether we like them or not, that have become comfortable and predictable. But often, growth occurs when we are uncomfortable. Inertia is, in many ways, comfortable. Stopping it takes work. Changing direction? That's even more uncomfortable. The young son sat in the mud, fighting for scraps amongst the pigs, and he made a conscious decision. He had to recognize the mistakes he'd made and the pattern he set in motion and chose to change it. He stood up, he turned around, and he began taking step by step, consciously moving back towards his father. Mm -hmm. And then we come to the best part of the story, right? The homecoming. And the way that it is written about in Luke's gospel. So this story can be found in Luke chapter 15. Um, in verse 20, it says this. So he, meaning the prodigal, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know, that is such a powerful story. Even as we heard it by those, uh, that skit that we saw just before, uh, just a moment ago, right? Even though we've heard the story dozens of times, when it's presented to us again, it, it chokes you up, right? This homecoming, this returning to the father, returning to the life that he had known, it's such a powerful thing. He's returning to his father. Now, the father had options, right? So again, it's a parable, but, but in that story, the father had options. Seeing his son a long way off, the father could have sat on the porch, waited till the son made the long final part of the journey home, came up the walkway, came up on the porch. And the father could have watched the son grovel, listened to him give the speech about I'm not worthy. And the father could have, you know, scolded him for screwing up. That would have been one option. He could have given his son a job. Taken the son at his, you know, his offer. You know, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll be your servant. Father said, could have said, fine. I'll let you be a servant. You don't get my trust. You don't get my affection. Or the father could have seen the son a long way off, gotten up, gone in the house and closed the door and refused to see his son. In this parable that Jesus is telling. While he's telling a story about a particular father and his son, you know that what Jesus is really doing here is he's telling us about God the Father and how God relates to human beings who turn their backs on him. 
And so if your idea of God is a God who is angry and judgmental and condemning, who when we fail in following him, that he turns his back or makes us grovel or scolds us or takes us in at a lesser, less than level, or refuses to take us back. Jesus is saying, that's not who the Father is. Here's the other thing about that story. So again, this is a human story about a human father and a son. And in that story, the father sees the son a long way off, right? He's a long way off. But in reality, God is never a long way off. And so what happens, what we know, is the moment that we recognize that we've drifted and we have that awareness, whether it's early in the drifting or we've hit rock bottom, the moment we turn back toward God, God is right there. He's right there, welcoming us home, welcoming us back as sons and daughters. The Apostle Paul, in trying to help people understand God's nature in this way, wrote some powerful words in the book of Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what he wrote. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul is saying, if we only got it, if we only understood it, God's grace, this whole story is a story about grace. God's grace, which defies our ability to fully comprehend it. But the more we get it, the more you understand God's love, the more you understand God's grace, the more full a life, the more powerful a life we can live. We all have our prodigal moments, right? Those times where we're living our lives on our own terms, where we've turned our back on God's will and God's way and we're going in our own direction. Maybe that's where you are right now. And friends, we have more than one prodigal story often in our lives. And I suspect if this son walked away from the father again and came back, he'd get the exact same reception. We have our prodigal moments. But if that's where you are right now, Heather and I want to offer four suggestions, steps to come back. Before you go any further steps to come back. And the first step is to own it, to own it to recognize that you've drifted from the Father. 
and that you're living your life on your own terms, in your own way, and maybe it's started to get less comfortable. It's gotten a little more challenging, a little more difficult, and so you just need to stop and own that. And the second step then is to confess it, to say out loud to God that you are feeling far from him. And to be specific in the ways that you feel you're drifting. What are the things in your life that you know or you have a feeling are drawing you away from him and to confess those, to speak those out loud to God and seek his direction, his forgiveness, and his embrace. Third is turn back. Turning back is that deliberate action we decide to take to move us back in the direction we want to be. It's a recommitment to spiritual disciplines like prayer, scripture, worship. I've had a screensaver on my phone for the past few months. It's a quote from Lisa Turkhurst, and it says, if we want to grow closer to God, we have to distance ourselves from what is distracting us. A constant reminder to me that each and every day, I have to make a decision to put God first. And sometimes that first step is asking God what it is in our lives that's become a distraction. Mm. Turning back is action driven by vision. A vision of our heart's true home, being in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And finally, we have to find friends. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard us say this before. We are not meant to do life alone. We aren't meant to live in isolation. We are designed for community. It is how Jesus modeled life for us. With friends, we find encouragement, inspiration, and accountability, all of which is exactly how God designed community to work. The son walked away from all of that and ultimately ended up sitting in mud stealing food from pigs. God wants so much more for us. He promises so much more for us. He lays on our heart a vision of our true home, a relationship full of grace, love, and forgiveness, an opportunity to know our Father intimately. There are a lot of competing images in our minds of what our lives should look like, but only one brings us closer to our heart's true home. Only one will truly satisfy the longing in our hearts. Only a vision focused on Jesus. Jesus.